I stand firmly in the fact that I'm one of the best to ever do this for the culture, for my coast, and for my city. This is the best rapper in LA podcast. 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 And I'm your host, Merce. 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 What up, though? What up, though? What up, though? Welcome back. If we split this into two episodes, like I think we will, we're going to finally get to the music. Almost Famous, the first song is What Would You Do If We Put It All Together in the Form of Living Legends on the album All Together, Would You? What would you do if we put it all together in the form of living legends on the album All Together? Would you buy it? Would you try it? Would you raise your hands high? Would you recommend performance or something that's so enormous? Why fight now? Lucky wrote the hook. I wrote the first verse. And then uh, we came into a, a voice. And I don't know where. I think the voice came from my brother, who used to, he was a big guy. And he would uh, always come into the room and go, Say, brother. And uh, it would get a reaction because he's so big. And he doesn't sound like that normally. He's an intimidating figure, a very large man. And uh, so he would do that. So I don't know why. We would talk to each other like that. So I did that at the beginning of the verse. I don't know why I used the N-word. Probably not the best thing to start off an album that you're selling to mostly white people. You see, you see, Merce, he tied in all these niggas. That's why he got the longest part. He be serving all these motherfuckers. That's the hardest nigga I know when I was locked up. He was the hardest Only nigga in the 45 and I talk a lot of shit. Oh, you still don't think I'm tight? Ask your girl, she got my shit. And she bumping number six like nobody's business. I got these who's confused like, man, what is this? I seen him at the open mic with the backpackers next day. On the block in some creased up khakis. See, that's merciability. Supreme versatility. One verse till you don't watch it burst unwillingly. So you should think twice before ice grilling me in the back of the club. Like in my defense, this was also when the shift was beginning. Uh, believe it or not. Living Legends shows used to be predominantly black crowd. Imagine that. And uh, there's many reasons. I think the fracture started. But uh, yeah, Mystic Journeyman shows were definitely more black. And I think as maybe as we added more white members, it attracted more white people. And but I, when I'm done, which is soon, and through these podcasts and all the therapy and everything, I, I hope to uh, search and find uh, why. I've said multiple times that I think a crew of black and white and an Asian kid, a Japanese kid rapping on stage is good in theory if you live in California in the Bay. But there weren't many groups on a major label or on any label that were looking like it. Like Anicon was an all-white crew. Hieroglyphics was an all-black crew. Wu-Tang was an all-black crew. So us doing this was definitely new. And I never, we, it was just so normal for us. Like, we were California kids. We were, you know, especially in the Bay, but in LA too. Like, I went to school with all kinds of kids. And Sons of Nishak, the first crew I mentioned, there was a Filipino, Filipina girl, a Filipino girl. I don't, I want to get fucked up for saying the wrong thing. A Jewish man, a white, I don't know what Eli's mixed with kid. And uh, Scarab is Panamanian, Panamanian Guyanese. He's not black American. And me, the black American, it was like, there was never a thought in my mind that this would be weird. And I don't think there's a thought in people's mind. It's just something that you don't gravitate towards because it's something you've never seen. It's a spectacle. And our live performance, back to the song, What Would You Do, is amazing. We're all on stage. The energy is amazing. So maybe I'm going to just step way out there and say, the Living Legends performance is in, um, in indicative of 
what America would look like if we all just fucking worked together and had fun and wanted to uplift each other. Because that's what a living legends show is. And I, I you know, I've said before, I gotta stop saying that too. Uh, it has to be the reason we didn't take out the music was decent and just as good as anything out there. Anyway, my first verse, uh, next day on the block of some creased up khaki. See, that's Mercer Billy. This 2000s, early 2000s, really realizing that I'm not a backpacker fully and I'm definitely, I realized a long time, I jumped into this world with Log Cabin trying to get as far away from street shit, crip shit, all that shit as, as humanly possible. I was wearing like uh, rod lavers, which are a white and green Adidas shoe, which was washable because I couldn't, didn't know I didn't have a lot of money, so I could always wash them in bleach and they would get whiter. Um, but the soles would get yellower, as I found out. But that matches because I wore red, gold, and green laces in them. I did not shave. I wore dreadlocks. I wore thrift store clothing. I did not want to be associated with it at all. And at this point in the story arc is where I've been in a couple situations where I had to fight, I'm going to jail still. And as much as I tried to not present myself as that, I'm still a black kid in America. And I'm rooted in what I was rooted in. I grew up where I grew up. So... It wasn't working out. And I, I think part of these verses where I'm saying shit like that, that's merciability, supreme versatility, is and you know, next day on the block and some creased up khakis. I want I'm still discovering who I am for myself. I'm probably what, twenty one, twenty. And I think as you as I jump into try to jump into these scenes, I don't fit here either. I'm not fitting in. That's why I am with the living legend sometimes and I'm not I'm still looking for a place where I fit. The Netherworlds was a place where I fit, but not fully. Different things separated me from my brothers there as well. I think everyone's an individual, but I was looking for a pack that I could run with. Um, and I don't think I ever found that <laughs> to this day. But they let me lead off the song. I use, I try to do comical, funny intros. This intro is similar to the After Hours, which is a song on a later EP, um, where I do the outro, just talking shit. And that's a buck 45. I said that. I do not. I'm probably like a buck 85 now, four kids into this thing. Man, I need to, I, you just don't have time to work out. I don't, I don't make time. I won't say I don't have time. I don't make time. We have a five-month-old, a four-year-old, a five-year-old, and a 10-year-old. I do a lot of driving and dropping off to football, jujitsu, art. Today, I have art class, football practice. I have to go to Big Five and buy mouthpieces for the little ones and get them. There's no time to work out. So Mr. Buck 45 is now Buck 85. I'm still trying to get back to a Buck 45. I hope I can make it there by, give me till by 55. Is that enough? Can you guys check back in on me then? Shout out to all the dads, mothers, um, dealing with uh, not physically appearing as as you once did, as you should, feel you should. I try to stay at that for a long time, just because of that line. Probably, except for Eli, I have tussled or thrown hands with everybody in the crew. And if it's everybody else, it's not them, it's you. That's, uh, so I know it's me. But 
I guess people would look at me like, why are you like that? And I, I try to explain, like, this is where I come from. Not an excuse, but this is where it comes from. And uh, so uh, only a buck 45, but I talk a lot of shit. Um, I used to tell people, like, do you think that I just started talking shit now? Or have I been, like, talking shit my whole life and fighting my whole life? And it's more that it's just who I am, you know? Luckily, in high school, for me, I discovered marijuana and uh, kept me from probably getting killed or beat up even, you know, getting beat up really bad. But, uh, yeah, it's it was a shock to me to find out um, when I'm in rooms with other people and they, they can recall that they've never been in a fight or been maybe in one fight. And that's not the norm for a lot of people, humans. Uh, so that's me, you know, kind of addressing that. Uh, I still think that bumping number six like nobody's business. Number six, I was trying to make the number six on every album a sexual song. I don't know. I think it lasted till about, I don't know if end of the, we'll see how long it runs, but good music and Mercer was a world where out there and both of those number sixes were sexual songs, especially bumping number six like nobody's business. The last line, if you measure the strength of my click by the length of my dick, we be larger than life plus a tenth of an inch. That, uh, you know, immediately didn't age well because they were like, is your dick a tenth of an inch? I'm like, no, you get what I'm saying. Like, larger than life and still a little bigger than that. That's how big my dick is. Blah, blah, blah. Never mind. I tried. I should have stuck to gardening metaphors um, with the lawns. I should have come up with a new lawn metaphor. Um, CDs ringing up loud. And for, you know, the, the rhyme scheme was there. I was on the snare. I was in the pocket. I had the confidence because now I had, I think I had probably gone to do Netherworld. I, had, I, I, was, I was arriving as a rapper. I had a tight verse. I don't believe Sunspot is on the song. Um, everybody else has a verse. Picasso's not on the song. Arata's not on the song. It's very rare. I don't know if a song exists with Arata and everybody, but it's still very rare to have. Just like Wu-Tang and Hyrule, it's very rare to have all members on one song. You think you might want that as a fan, but you don't want that. That's too much rap. It works for Protect Your Neck, and I don't know if it's ever worked again. This song was good to perform. It brought everybody out. Also, I'm a weirdo. Like I don't care about performing. So in the Living Legends, I would always be the one to say, yeah, you can cut my song. I don't need to perform. Or like, you know, people like to, there's certain groups I've been on tour with that are like, oh, somebody needs to go hype up the crowd or someone introduce me. And I'm just like, give me the microphone. Let me go to work. It's a job to me. And I'm already nervous about going on stage. So let me just get it over with. It's like, I equated to fighting. Like, let's just fight. Let's just, just punch me in the face and let's get this thing started. Let's set it off. Me being first was perfect because I could come out, get the crowd hype, and then bring the living legends out on stage. No one wants to. A lot of rappers don't want to be the first one on stage. I never understood that. I And the same thing with uh, who gets to do what, how many songs, because imagine a group with eight people, and as you heard, we all had uh, large amounts of solo material. Wu-Tang went on tour, and or even Hyrule, they went on tour. Everybody had one or two albums each. We are eight motherfuckers like releasing music on an E40 two short schedule. So by the time this comes out, I have three EPs and two albums done and everybody on the crew has that or more that they've been performing on their own. So when you try to condense it to, let's say, a 60-minute set, we're going on tour. We're headlining our first tour with this album after this. And who gets to do what song? We can't go 90 minutes. No one knows us. We're still... 
Also, I didn't mention in the last episode, Napster came on the scene. LimeWire came on the scene. These are the first streaming platforms. Don't let anyone tell you about piracy or anything. These are the first streaming platforms, so to speak. I would almost rather they still exist than you insult me by paying me .002 cents a fucking stream. I and every, I'm pretty sure everyone else used to tell people, steal our music because we're not going to be on the shelves. We're not in the magazines. We're not on the radio. If you hear what you like, what you hear tonight, put my fucking name in LimeWire and Napster and get familiar and come check me next time. Buy a T-shirt or then buy a CD. But please. So this, no one knew us, but we're going on tour. And some people had, we had fans. So we had a, a tough decision putting together a set. Now we have a group album. There's group songs that need to be done. And then every all the uh, all eight members have to have at least one song. So if we say that's eight times three, we should do one that's 24 minutes. So that's, you know, let's say we do a 75 minute, 75 minute set. That's a third, that's a third of it gone. And we have 50 minutes left to do crew songs. And we gotta do now you know. We gotta do what would you do? Um, we'll get to the other songs we got to do as we figure out this set. Whose songs get cut? I would say mine. No problem. It's a job. I would always ask, do I get paid the same if I do less songs? Then yes. When I go to festivals now, we just did a festival in San Jose. We did a festival in Tucson. I went over time. I don't want to apologize to that man. I always tell people, cut my mic. I do not give a fuck. I don't know what job anyone works where they want to go over their time. I don't get paid for overtime. If I haven't convinced you in the amount of time allotted that I'm a good rapper, then fuck it. And there are other people on the bill. There are people working jobs that are less fun than your job that want to go home. I get it. There's no need to... The security guards, when they kick us out, we're selling tapes. I get it. Don't be rude. But if it's a money thing, I always trip out on the bouncers. I'll cut you in. These are the people that should be getting the merch split. If you don't know, when you sell merch in a venue, the venue takes a percentage of the merch, even though they do shit and don't do, didn't do shit and they don't give you a percentage of the bar. They try to take a percentage of your merchandise and don't provide you someone to sell it unless you pay more. But with the security guards back then, I'm selling tapes. Why not just let me cut you in? I'll throw you a 20, which is you'll get paid another hour. I'm just asking to stay another 10 to 15 minutes to see how many tapes I can sell. But they never think of that. But that's what I'll, I do think of that when I'm on stage. There are people that, there are other artists that I don't want to cut into their set times. It's not fair. Number one is I'm not getting paid anything to rap longer, so I don't care to rap longer. Number two, it makes it uncomfortable for the person throwing the stage thanks to pay dues and booking my own shows. I get that. And thanks to being an artist who has, you know, oh, such and such went overtime. Now you have to cut your set, which that isn't fair. And there are staff that want to get out of there on time. So... You know, unless you're like Lauren Hill or like people who can afford, Miss Hill, pardon me, that can afford to say, fuck it, pay extra 10000 I just want to do the song because people want to hear it. And you're saving your platinum hit for the last one. I don't really have a song that in my set that if I don't do it, people are going to go home furious. I feel I've tried to make a lot of good songs. And maybe that's why I haven't made any great songs. A lot of good songs and perform all of them well so everyone has a good time, even if you don't know the song. And if you don't hear the song that you want, you're going to hear one or two songs you want to hear. Unfortunately, fortunately, I don't have, and I used to talk to Shock about this, God bless him. 
I don't have a Humpty Dance, which I so desperately want in one in my life is a hit record, like a real hit record. Like I don't do that. And if I do get one of those records, I'm probably going to do it first. So I don't have to worry about the set time getting cut. The one time, yeah, the times I've led with, so like if I'm in LA and I leave with LA, I already, I feel great. I like that feeling. I'm from L.A. Dot, California A. Hot, days got shade. Let me take you around the way. A lot of out-of-towners can't handle this city where you wear the wrong color. And then we can just enjoy ourselves. It's like the, um, you bust one, guys, and then get the second wind, you know? I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, that was What Would You Do? Uh, that song uh, is a great chorus, great performance song. I can't describe to you what a uh, joy, just hearing it now, hearing the guy, like, I get so, if you've ever seen me at a Living Legends show, I will be jumping and smiling the whole fucking time. And that's what I do. If my song gets cut, then I can give more because I don't have to do a solo set. And I I love to just, I like being Flavor Flav. Flavor Flav is one of my idols. I wish I could put him in my top five. Later on, I found that we had the same birthday and I understand the attraction and fascination. But that's my energy on stage. I'm just trying to hype up everybody because I love my brothers and I think they're dope. I didn't get in a crew with a bunch of motherfuckers I thought sucked or I thought I was better than. And I don't know if I can say the same for everyone in the crew and that's cool. But I never thought that I was a better rapper than anybody in my crew. I'm a big fan of all of my brothers. And so, that, so when you see me on stage with them, and I never wanted to be on stage with myself. I was in Funky Chaos. I was in Netherworlds. I was, I'm desperately seeking to avoid the spotlight and push other people to the forefront. That's now, as I start the Groundways program, that is what I am about. I just love, when I go to the open mics for Groundways, now I love hearing people be dope. I recently flew out a friend of mine just to have him see and and photograph because he's a photographer, but just because I love some of these guys and their stories and these ladies and they're doing amazing. And we have some they, them, um, non-binary folks too that are amazing. I want to be around dope hip hop. Someone could play a, a great piano and I wouldn't be able to feel it the same way I feel hip-hop, unfortunately. My cousin is a great pianist. But um, I, I love seeing my cousin play, and it brings me to tears because he was just a little dude that's, you know, side with my cousin is Chris Bowers, who scored Bridgerton. And um, The Green Book and uh, Secret Invasion recently from Marvel, he's amazing. I see him, I cry, but it's not because I fucking understand piano or jazz. It's because my my little cousin is fucking killing it. But other than that, like, there's nothing that gives me the feeling about, of like, of, of being around people who are dope. And when I've lived with these people and I know their song and their what they're saying on the microphone, I don't rap with anyone who raps about bullshit. So when they're rapping, I'm feeling it when Grouch and, and PSC do windows. I put my ear to the speaker because I know what the fuck they're talking about. I remember the rainy days. Mama dropped me off at school in a bucket. It was around the third grade. Melting crayons on the furnace playing head. When Sunspot does his verse on um, never falling down, bro, I understand. And I want to bring that to life. And I love being with them for those moments. So going first and bringing my crew out is probably the best job I could have ever had. That's how I started in Living Legends, introducing Mystic Journeyman on tour was sometimes all I got to do on stage when I would, they'd get me in the club and maybe a freestyle at the end or if the sound went out. 
I went places to hype up who I thought was one of the greatest groups and still think one of the greatest groups of all time, the Mystic Journeyman. And now I'm rapping first on What Would You Do, the first song on the first album by Living Legends. I just wish I hadn't done the N-word. But that space was there so I could come out and be like, y'all ready to rock with Living Legends? And then only a buck 45. And it's like muscle memory at this point. That was What Would You Do. You don't know me, but you'd like to. Why'd you think I stood beside you? Not concerned with how this might fall. Nature become prowl at nightfall. When the sun begins to dim and eventually the day dies and the moon prepares to sway. Okay, the next song is Night Prowler, which is one of the best Living Legend songs. My favorite Living Legend songs I'm not on. I love jumping up and down. If you've ever seen, it's like the jump where you tuck your knees and it's... Was it splay, spray, splay out your legs? I stole it from Fred Durst. During the Varsity Blues era, when I was like in the house with depression and things like that, I started studying, brought these James Brown DVDs, um, bought the Family Values Tour TV DVDs, something with the Limp Biscuit Faith video. Well, I guess it would be nice if I could touch your body. I know not everybody. Before this, my performance was an imitation of. Sunspot Jones, a little PSC, and Pigeon John all mixed together. All great live performers. Put your hands up. I'm gonna ask you a question. And he goes, What's cracking? What's up, yo? The name's Pigeon John Super Disco. Ladies say ho, you're good to go. Brothers say hey, today's your day. Now everybody just scream. But uh, during the kind of the punk rock or the breakdown of the 24 Hours with the G song that produced by Thess One. My vocals on the second verse were whack and uh, sounds like, all right, I'll just start doing a bang because we wanted to get back to the la, 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 la as soon as possible because I had the crowd participation. La, 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 la. And I would skip around in circles and then when that when the beat would change up, I would start doing the head bang thing. And so much so that... Uh, Picasso gave me my first gauntlet, which is which I learned the spike bracelet thing. And I would do this little skank across the stage and people would laugh and it was fun, entertaining. So I wanted to build on that. So I started studying other live performers and a lot of rock performers. But Fred Durst, man, um, I like I like Limbisky because I like faith. Taking a George Michael song and fucking it up. Cause I gotta have faith. I recently learned that my favorite things are whatever by John Coltrane is the same thing. Uh, older jazz cat I was on a plane with. That's another story. But he told me, many things he told me. One of them was that uh, he didn't like John Coltrane. So the story is I'm on a Southwest flight. If you ever see me post on Instagram, Southwest is you can choose your own seating. However, I like the aisle seat. I'm getting up there in age, bladder. Uh, prostate, whatever it is. I got to pee. I don't like having to step over people. And now my hair is unpleasant to brush in people's face, and I'm aware of that. Numerous reasons I like the aisle seat. I sit on the aisle, and I'm happy to give up the window seats. Window seats are cherished. And people will take the middle seats, other aisle seats all around me, but give me a row to myself <laughs> most times. The seats, the two seats next to me will be the last two seats on the plane. 
I tested it. I told other people. I told my DJs, like, sit back. Don't sit next to me. Just watch this. Um, recently did it on a flight from uh, Tulsa to Colorado and Denver to L.A. Um, after that, still rings true. No one, they will take a middle seat next to someone they don't know before they take a window seat on the same aisle as me. So a guy, older black man gets on and he said, hey, Rasta, move. You know, ain't nobody going to sit next to you. <laughs> and I was like, uh, I started laughing. You're right. And it uh, turns out uh, he was a former member of uh, the Black Liberation Army and many uh, social movements in um, Southern California, uh, workers' workers' rights and things of that nature. And one of the stories he told me was that he was riding with a, a white gentleman that he... Well, first thing he asked me was, do you like, what do you listen to? You like reggae, of course. And I was like, no, nah, I don't listen to reggae. I do hip hop. Do you like jazz? I like jazz. I was like, yeah, I like jazz. I like big band. He's like, F basically, I don't know if he said fuck. We said big band is garbage, like trash. And I was like, what? What do you mean? He's like, you know, Coltrane, Miles, blah, 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 Bebop. I'm like, yeah, but that's like me saying fuck LL Cool J. Like, the, 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 without Duke Ellington, without Count Bates, like, there is no Bebop. Who do you think? the people who created Bebop listen to, motherfucker. Like, I'm I'm acting like I'm an old head now, arguing with him just for fun. You know, because he, he was a fun dude. It was all in, in good fun. And he's like, I actually didn't care for jazz. And um, he said, man, I always thought John Coltrane was a sellout because he's like, I don't want to hear like rainbows. And it was a white man who was like, bro, that's a diss song, supposedly. This is I haven't investigated this. But he was trying to shit on something white America held precious because jazz was the hip-hop, and it wasn't what we think of as now old folks, cool, non-threatening music. He was saying that John took it and redid it to shit on it. Like, fuck you. I'm taking your shit and I'm jazzing it up, which jazzing it up in jazz hands and all that shit is soft and corny now, but back then... He jazzed it up and it was like, fuck y'all. This is, we're taking this to, we're taking this after everything you've taken from us. And he said that turned him on to jazz and because he was a revolutionary. He was like Gil Scott Heron, you know, fuck the power, fuck the pigs, fuck, you know, all that shit. One of many stories he said, he also told me, gentlemen out there, he said, you only win three fights in your marriage your whole life. <laughs> and I felt that. Picked them wisely. He was a financial analyst and he was talking about how he saw the the big dip coming in, was it 2008, 2000, around that area. He told his wife we should move our assets around, blah, blah, blah. And uh, she said, no. And I said, well, why didn't you force the situation? And that's when he said, you only went three fights. He's like, one, I didn't want my son to skip school. Two, I wanted us to be Muslims. He said, I'm saving the third one. We've been married 30-some years, and I'm saving the third one. You don't get a lot of marital advice uh from people that have been married a long time that aren't Instagram people, and you definitely don't get it in hip-hop. So I thought I, I would share that. Another random story he told me was about um, Black Liberation Army and how they're not talked about and how they were, they considered Black America to be at war with the police department or something of that nature. So they were actively going out, and not that I condone this at all, but... uh at war, like shooting with the police shootouts and shit. They emptied their gun into him, and then they took his revolver out and shot him as he was pleading for his life. 
They found 22 bullet holes in him. It was the Black Liberation Army. The killer is part of a movement that would kill 10 cops nationwide. Piagettini's gun kept as a trophy until it was dug up on a Mississippi farm three years later. Well, one guy, I think, got caught on trumped-up charges, and they escaped to Libya, and then Libya, from Libya to France, because Libya tried to turn on them, and then by the time they got to France, they got another person, and then there was one person that made it to Portugal, and he was talking about how he got banned from the New York Times message board or from the comment section for going back and forth with people. So apparently the U.S. government finally caught him in 2000 and. 10, some of the 2010s, this is something that happened in the 60s, I believe. And they wanted to extradite him from Portugal. So they arrested him, and then the Portuguese government was like, fuck you, go fuck yourself. We're not taking him. And because all of his neighbors were like, oh, he's been teaching our kids basketball. He's just been living here and chilling. So fuck y'all, and we're not extraditing him and let him free. So I don't know the story. I don't know if he really killed anyone. If so, he should you know, definitely answer for that. But I just thought it was an interesting story. And this more, the funny part was him talking about, at some, you know, at his age, going at it with people in the comments section and how I had to stop doing that. And I wanted to teach him, like, hey, Boomer, like, don't read the comments. <laughs> just, you know, uh, overall, it's a part of the story. But that, I did, I did, I think I found that New York Times article. I did look that up because it sounded too sensational. So, Usually when I talk to someone with a sensational story, I'll investigate that one. And then I'll be like, well, if they were telling the truth about that, they're probably not lying about the other little stuff. And um, so, yeah, I haven't used any of my three uh, arguments. Oh, I used one. I used one of mine already. And I still pay for it every day. So, fellas or ladies, whatever it is, if you're married and you're, you go out with your partner, if you both just hold those three, but I think it's for usually uh, husbands, Hold your three because you're not going to win many, many things. I'm currently vegan by marriage, okay? That was a long way around of saying I studied performances. Uh, you know, we spun off in a whole uh, other direction, but I think that's the point of this. Uh, I stole that thing from Limp Biscuit from a song called Faith. That was, that I don't think Fred was trying to diss them. Back to Fred. This is going to go on, veer off on another path. Tangents, this is what this is about. Fred with his red-ass hat, people really uh, come down on him. And I don't get it. He's just a kid from Jacksonville. Just in case you didn't know, I'm a Jaguars fan. Believe some something like that, Jacksonville. I could look it up, but fuck it. Before the internet, if you loved hip-hop and you were a white kid, and I believe from a, a lower-income area, I don't know what your access to the culture is. Like, you would probably rap like Fred Durst. Like, he, like who's going to cipher with him and make him a more modern MC? I think his style can be antiquated or stiff or a lot of things, but I don't think he did it to blow up. You have to keep in mind that there was no fucking rap rock lane. And I, and the song where he doesn't rap at all is, like, Faith is the best song. $3 Bill, y'all, I think is a great limb. I, I think there's a lot of great limb biscuit albums fucking shoot me. Um, Merce is better than your favorite rapper is directly from a shirt I own that said Limp Biscuit is better than everyone that I bought at Hot Topic in the bed in the my first apartment that I describe on this podcast in LA when I had the Dreamcast and TV on the floor one blue couch no furniture I had a Limp Biscuit uh, I don't even know the name of the second album that Mir I think Mir did it from CBS I had that on my wall 
um, you would not disrespect Limp Biscuit in, in my home. At, and this is at the height of Nookie. Because at the B-Boy Summit in Pasadena one year, it was in the in the basement of a church, I believe on Colorado, but I think everything, Colorado Lake, one of those streets in Pasadena, Melinda Cochina, next time I drive to Pasadena type shit. It's the way that hair neck kind of covered up her ear. Had me asking why the fuck she was even working here. But next time I get hungry, I'ma drive to Pasadena because I just got to see her. Melinda Cochina. It's so far back that Jessica Alba was there. I shit you not. We could start giving a prize or you could scream like Pee Wee Herman whenever say, I shit you not. I shit you not. She was there selling basically bikini lingerie 8x10 glossy. I think she was like a model for a comic book. I want to say Aspen comic or something. She had a booth and she was there signing shit. Black Eyed Peas came through. A lot of people that people don't think are down with hip hop because they make pop music be the motherfuckers that's really down. I've never seen a lot of your favorite real hip hop acts at a B-Boy Summit or at a Red Bull BC BC 10 or whatever battle. BC 1, sorry. <laughs> BC 120s, whatever else they try to say the year. I've never seen them, but I have seen the Black IPs at multiple ones. I know they've provided stages and supplies and funded a lot of them, but they were just there at this one. I think this is before the real blow up when they were just joints and jams, Black IPs. And Fred Durst was there in a red hat. Nobody knows him but me because I was obsessed with $3 Bill and, and the Faith video, and I watched and stolen some of his moves. And just watch. He watched as long as I watched, just watching people break. It wasn't a contest. There was no Red Bull sponsorship. This had to be early 2000s, around this time of Almost Famous. And I was fucking just not in awe, but just like, I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, man. Good on you. Good on you, mate. Sorry to any British or Australian people or New Zealand, whatever that was. But yeah, good on him. And uh, I had a lot of respect for him. And I had, you know, I was happy that I stole that move from him. And I would do it all the time during Night Prowler. I was also pissed that I wasn't on Night Prowler because I feel like I introduced them to atmosphere. I was the one all those years ago that got this tape from Slug and way back in 1998, I played it for everybody. And I was like, yeah, man. But funny enough, around that time is when I think he asked, you know, people to go on tour. And I was the one that said, I'm going on the God Loves Ugly tour. And once again, I did not go on the road with Living Legends. I went on the road with Atmosphere. Um, previous to that, I did not go on the road with Living Legends. I went on tour with the Masterminds to open for them. I was always trying to break new ground, learn new things, be with new people, expand our brand. Um, as you can see, I came back and did Almost Famous. I'm on the cover. I'm just, but I am working. I thought it'd been great if we all would have built more. If we had done a Living Legends, we might have had to open for Atmosphere or co-headline at that point. I think we were strong in St. Marcus. And we, you know, we headline there. We switch off on the East Coast. He headlines in the Midwest. Boom. We have a tour that grows the whole scene. But when you're splitting money eight ways, it's hard to make those decisions. Because even if we split the headline or fee with Atmosphere, we are still having to split half of, he gets half and splits it amongst him and his DJ. And back then, and the hype man is a work for hire. DJs work for hire for atmosphere at that point. But for living legends, that's eight ways. So if we get back then, what we get $5,000 guarantee, you know, Sean potentially making 1200 to 1500 a night, we would be splitting 2500 So that's $300 each. When 
we could they could they went on tour and got five thousand dollars a night and split that seven ways. And that's another back in the day, motherfuckers was if I wanted to cut a song from the set, great. If I didn't, I wasn't the popular one. I was still the ugly whack guy in the group to some people. Some people still in the group felt that way, as well as outside the group. I think more so in the group, but which is okay. Uh, they didn't mind me saying, "Oh, I'm gonna go on tour the atmosphere," and I was I was making less money on the atmosphere tour than I would have on some of these Living Legends dates. But I just believed in making new fans, making new friends, having new adventures. I think it paid off. You know, branching out. They would gladly let me go. But when I did get to perform this song, I fucking love it. Uh, Sunspots versus he blows everybody off the song. That's hard to do because Grouch comes with it. Uh, Slug comes with it, of course. I think he wrote the hook. It sounds like something he wrote, but I could be wrong. Could be Grouch. Grouch did the beat too, so double kudos for him. But Sunspot, step to the beat, walk to the beat, fuck to the beat. Step to the beat, walk to the beat, talk to the beat, live to the beat, rock to the beat, fuck to the beat, dance to the beat, paint to the beat, fight to the beat. You get a little lost to the beat, police walk the beat, kill to the beat, still to the heat, terrorize, kill, no retreat. Proud to the beat, proud to defeat your weak scandal. Oh, spray vandal, walk the streets, I hear footsteps on the street. Someone's following me on the street. Like racism. And it's just vintage Sunspots, probably my favorite Sunspot verse. Lucky comes in, kills it. Night shift, I prowl, serve like the owl, well endowed. I'm out when the freaks come out, way after dusk, after the time when the opening acts get they time to bust the night shift, I prowl and observe like the owl, surroundings minus the scowl, wise and well endowed, in the mental well renowned, ghetto has every town, So yes, yeah, so black guys talking about the size of their penis, stereotypic, I did it on the first song, second song, we got Lucky talking about it. Um, we like to go on the road and have SEX, I guess, or we or act like we did because that rarely happened um, for me. Yeah, I think at this time, I'm just going to be honest, I don't think I still had had sex with white girls as a rule. I don't know what tour. I think it was Creative Differences tour or somewhere around there where it finally happened for me. And I, I stopped being such a dickhead. He used pussy hug in the rap. I felt good because, uh, you know, that was a term I think I invented on Mercy Rules the World from the song I Hate Your Boyfriend. So, uh, you know, just uh, having that uh, inside joke, inner slang, like if you didn't have the Mercy Rules the World album, you probably didn't get that line. And, and I also referenced myself like number six, like nobody's business. There are little things, um, Gand you know, uh, Eli rapping about being Gandalf and the wizard and they, all these things are like, if you're familiar with the crew, they're Easter eggs. If you're not, it's just good rapping, hopefully. I like that. Um, you know, like weaving our uh our 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 lore, our our the tales. If you're if you're in it, you're in it. If you're not, it goes over your head. Like Star Wars, like so many other things that are great. And I think this was the beginning of it. There was some dickhead. Nathan Rabin of the A V Club gave the album a favorable review, favorable review, saying, Living Legends, grandiose moniker, may be ironic and self-deprecating. But Almost Famous should go a long way towards establishing the members of this oversized crew as legitimate underground hip-hop heroes. Such a fucking backhanded compliment, man. I never really cared for reviews. So fucking what, man? Why say that shit? No, it's not grandiose and ironic, motherfucker. We did legendary shit. I, I've gone on in these podcasts about that. It's not ironic and it's not self-deprecating. The title may be self-deprecating. Maybe that's what he meant. Maybe they misquoted the Nathan, and I'm say sorry, Nathan 
Rabin, Rabin, I don't know, of the AV Club. But uh, most of the time, it's just good to be reviewed. I'm fucking with you, Nathan. Thanks for um, chiming in. You're, you're um, Wikipedia famous, and we're um, underground rap hero famous years later. This says this came out on 1010, 2001. That is Night Prowler. You don't know me, but you'd like to. Why do you think I stood beside you? Not concerned with how this might fall. Nature become prowl at nightfall. What to say, what to say. That looks good. Dope, dope verses, dope hook, dope beat, dope video. If you have, you gonna see the video. It's so it's pretty fucking good. Well, that looks good. What's on the inside? What's on the other side? What's on the flip? Tell me what I get. Is it all of what I see? If I give you all of me, then am I tripping? Listen, that looks good. But what's on the inside? What's on the other side? Eli did the beat. Um, basics in the video. Yeah, I feel like this is another one of the things I did where I got in and out. Even on the song, the song I'm talking about people in the crew, even doing, all of my friends are doing ecstasy, but definitely people in Living Legends. I thought about trying it once, and uh, I believe one of them, somebody told me, like, I can't see you doing this drug. I've been a melancholy gypsy, you know, since before we came up with the name, but we came up with the name. Three 15-year-olds don't come up with that name if it's not true, indicative of who they are. Like, we were just, if you know Scarab, you know Eli, you know me. It's pretty much, you know, spot-on accurate. Uh, so whoever I was talking uh, talking to that was doing extra, like, ah, you can, but I just, you know, I was finally ready to join the crew, and they were like, nah, just, because I think it was everybody was upstairs doing it, and they would just, I would just hang out. I didn't have a car. I didn't have a house most of the time. I'm just living with people. So if they're all doing X, I'm just going to skateboard, write raps, do something in the driveway. And uh, that was me. But yeah, that Let's Good Boss on the inside was, you know, me trying to tell my friends, probably not a good idea. Fucks you up long term. Uh, I still stand firmly on that. Catch me chilling on the side, staying drug free with pride. <laughs> I don't even smoke weed, so why would I try something mixed with speed? Need me to spell it out? I'm talking ecstasy. The drug everybody's trying. Everybody else is trying. Except for me. Catch me chilling on the side, staying drunk. What's on the inside? What's on the other side? What's on the flip? There's a part in there I say, not right, not seeing, like, who knows what I was saying. That just didn't want to do another take. I was probably wherever we were recording. I would love to, and hopefully get to eventually hear everyone else's take on what what was going on during this session but i was assuming me knowing my demeanor i was probably trying to get in and get out of there i did not want to fuck fucking hang out with these guys maybe or whoever they're around there's people in the video that i know i got in and got out. everybody's girlfriend is in the video my girlfriend is not in the video i'm sure i had a girlfriend at the time that's why the the one young lady's only sitting next to me on the couch for a brief second but yeah they had cameos from people I didn't care for at the time at all. And it's part of the narrative where I'm saying, like, I was like, if I don't fuck with them, why do y'all fuck with them type of shit? And you can blame me for having uh, strategic alliances with people, but I also stayed friends with a lot of the people I chose to be friends with then. And they were people that were doing similar things. So, for instance, Slug didn't do ecstasy, to my knowledge, but also, like, just just similar um, ethos and ethics those are the people I, I was down with. Uh, I was, uh, you know, obsessed with uh, 
I said, branching out, working, spreading a brand, like working in a different way um, than my crew was working. So I kind of just aligned with those people. And if those people tend to be the ones that do well, like I didn't, like I was telling you when I got with Slug, it was because of Christina Ricci. God Loves Ugly hadn't blown up yet. We were at a similar level as far as popularity. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to get with the hottest rapper out right now. Same thing with LP. Same thing with Aesop Rock. Same thing, like, you know, a lot of people I met. And there are a lot of people I met that haven't blown up that I'm, you know, still relatively cool with. Um, but yeah, they are definitely cool with it. You know, I have text threads with people who aren't famous rappers or who were rappers that are no longer famous or people who are still rapping and just at the same level. But I know that's an accusation that has slipped out there. But it was more just along the lines of people who are getting it like I was getting it. And um, also far enough away from where you don't have to know their dirt. Uh, I think that was another thing. I couldn't smile at rappers not not any rappers that I'm talking about this moment or that have made cameos in that video. I don't want to put be that cruel, but there are rappers out there that I look up to that are in our scene that I meet like, oh shit, you beat up your wife, you don't pay your child support, you're a drug addict, you stole money from me. Like those people, I, I just didn't want around. But yeah, anyway, moving on. That looks good, but what's on the inside? I'm trying to see what, oh, Lucky's verse. Because of Lucky's size and uh, ability to um, fight and all those things, and many other things. His character, he called out Karis one. Mr. BDP requested meeting up the gang, double L. Over to the office, we proceeded, hype and curious about what he needed. Greeted with pounds and hugs, major love. And next came the pitch, how we supposed to sign up. Get under the wing, rap city, MTV, all the things that my mama and my sister wants to see for me. Next scene performing at a club for the label that he runs, we supposed to sign up. Put us up in the holiday in on Highland. We do the show, everybody drunk and smiling. We got the info that we about to sign. But little did we know that the Blastmaster's lying Another chapter in this book called The Legends Everything ain't ever what it seems that's forever Well that looks good, but what's on the inside? What's on the other side? What's on the This was a moment for us Karis One had become the president or vice president of Warner Brothers for a time I don't know how it came to us, he wanted a meeting with us Apparently it was before Almost Famous came out He was signing people, he wanted to sign us He had a meeting Within the infamous meeting, he looks at Aesop and says, yo, you go on MTV. They're going to want to do your makeup. Are you going to let them do your makeup? Sometimes you got to take the powder, my nigga. <laughs> oh, man, we laughed about that shit for sometimes you got to take the powder, my nigga. Oh, man. And it's just big home, like... The, the jewels, it is true. Like, you don't think about that. It's, it's going to be weird for, you know, now that there's everything behind the scenes. But, yeah, before you go on, they're going to have to powder your nose so you don't shine. Especially, I'm sure Karis One had that issue. <laughs> but um, he, it wasn't that he, he was saying it, that it was untrue or that it was something that was whack. It was just how he said it and the way he said it to Aesop. And that, you know, the, the duality of Coke and I think... Probably, I don't know if anybody was doing coke about that time, but that eventually happened. So they did take the powder both ways. Probably had to take powder on the set of this video because everybody looks clean. These are also videos, once again, shot on film, people. The Sunspot had to edit and telecine and all that other cool shit that you guys don't know anything fucking about anymore. It was expensive. There was someone pushing the dolly. As you see in the video, we had to freeze ourselves. There was no green screen that they could cut out and, and make us a static image. It was all... And they couldn't layer us on top of each other. It was it was all real 
thing in a warehouse or a soundstage. It cost us a lot of money. Yeah, so shout out to Sunspot for being like a real, real, not that you're not a real director, but before you could edit on your laptop and having to go to Telecine and like, we all had to, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I think, well, I was, I was going to say, we all had to get together and watch the VHS. There was no way to send or the DVD of the mix of the video or the rough or the of the cut of the video. If you wanted to see the video, you couldn't email it to someone. You could burn it on a DVD and send it to their house or go pick it up. So we had to watch it. But let me finish this. So we uh the powder Karis one gives us a speech. We all go to the beach afterwards, Santa Monica. I've never seen Sunspot, the man that taught me independent as fuck and control your destiny, is excited. I thought we'd have to like convince him. But it's Karis One. Like, who doesn't want to get signed by fucking K? He is hip hop. All right, you know, I'm fucking amped. I'm like, all right, this is what we're doing. You know, it's change, it's growth. Like I was saying, I'm about growth. Fuck it. The irony is, I would end up in that room with the president of Warner Brothers signing Warner Brothers. Six, five, six years later, seven years later or something. Same building, same, I think same exact room. No, 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 it was another, but I had been, I went in that room for a meeting. But yeah, anyway, I was in that building constantly seven years later for when I was signing Warner Brothers. It didn't work out. So Lucky had to let him have it on the verse. And uh, I wasn't mad at it. I was proud of my brother and um, telling the truth. So that's a good document. To, I don't know if anyone ever, because there wasn't message boards, there wasn't tweet, tweets. and A lot of shit we did and said if it was done and said in this era, would have taken us to new heights. We would have been renegades. And once again, woe be to whoever had a problem with it, because it it was it was you know we could say I I felt at that point we could say whoever we want about who, whatever we want about whoever we want as long as it's true we still buy it. It wasn't too many people that were going to outwrap us, outfight us, outperform us, outsell us, outhustle us. You know, it's kind of like taking a, from what Wu Tang and hieroglyphics always want to acknowledge that and turning it into something even more streamlined. I just think we were ahead of our times. and I, But I think more than um, self-deprecating or ironic, I think we kind of lived into the name. It was uh, like, a, what is it called? A foreshadowing of what was to come because we are living in like, you know, I people definitely like, yo, what's up, legend? Like all the younger cats, like, and when I do these one-on-one -on -one sessions, some of these guys have never heard me rap. These kids that I mentor... And they'll go home and be like, oh, shit, my uncle told me that you used to do this and you used to do that. Oh, man. Or like, I, I, I Googled you, bro. I didn't know that you uh, knew Tyler or you did a song with Kendrick. Like, it's you're, you're a legend, bro. I didn't know. You know, that's what I get from a lot of younger kids, especially kids under 30, which we lived into that name. We lived up to that name. So, I've, um, Nathan, I disagree with you. It's not a moniker that's ironic or self-deprecating. It was be having foresight. Um, I think that's about it about uh, That Looks Good. Let's move on to Black Glass uh, is Eli and Scarab over a dope beat. Can you see yourself not seeing yourself? That's the question. If I paint the back of a sheet of glass black, black. What I have is so complex, you can never make your way back. To vanity instilled in children, villain, villains with the greatest weapon of all time. Connection with your outer layers and mind, body, and soul could never conceive. 
I don't know why I'm not on the song, but this, I guess this is a, a 3MG song without me fucking it up because I admit all the time they are much better rappers than I am. I love them. I'm a huge fan of them. Eli was my favorite rapper for many years. Uh, I still hold him in high regard. Yeah, they just did a song with Chesky or something. And I, at first, I'm always like, oh, why have them and not me? Not oh, No one even asked me. But then I'm like, ah, I get it. Uh, so if, you are, if you're not a Merce fan, I don't know why you'd be listening to this, but if you're not a Merce fan, this is a great uh, song because it's a 3MG song without me fucking it up for you. I always think that my verse is the worst verse. There's a couple songs in the history of our probably 50 or 60 songs we put out or whatever, 30, 40, I don't know. How many other songs we put out and done together where I may have the best verse on the song, but it's rare that I, I get to outwrap my brothers. Not that it's a competition. It's where that I like my verse better than I like theirs. So Black Glass is a dope song. I love it when Scarab says worst this is and like words that aren't really words because that's really Scarab and it's funny and it's unique and it's dope. Um, it's kind of like his own slang. No clear views or rear views. Free weights would be overcrowded with fender benders and middle fingers would be thrown up in faces as common as compact mirrors can be found in purses. Life would be the worstest or would it be a remedy? No more seven years bad luck for breaking the reflective glass. More productivity. Women wouldn't be running back and forth in bathrooms to refresh in that ass. Yeah. So uh, that is Black Glass, Sunspot on the Hook. I love Sunspot doing hooks. Who doesn't love it? If, you don't, if you're listening to this podcast and you're not a Living Legends fan, please, he did the chorus for me on 18 um, with the Bullet remix on End of the Beginning. So please believe me when I say Voice and that can't stop it all. Sunspot Jones, one of the greatest of all times, producer rappers and directors, producer, rapper, director. Um, author of children's books as well, but uh, as far as in the in this sphere, he is a producer, director, and rapper. Uh, we're going to move on to everyone's favorite song that doesn't feature Slug, <laughs> Rabbit Hole. Moderation. I found a way to pace it. I made it more acceptable this life, and I ace it. I'm faded on occasion and abrasion to the clean cut. Blended with my normal way of life, and now I seem stuck. Even when I'm not blue, I'm focused, and I thank you for opening that part of my brain. I can't break through, even though I think it's the Jefferson Airplane sample. I had no idea that it was a popular song, so of course it resonated with our fan base, which is now, by at this point, now predominantly white. One pill makes you larger and. It's, you know, it just is funny that I'm hyped because I just think the beat is dope and the song is dope and my boys are spitting. And then years later, I literally performed the song and then I was in a coffee shop. So I was like, oh, they're playing Living Legends. Oh, wait, no, they're not. I'm sure fans that are white Americans have that thing sometimes when you find out somebody sampled something. You're like, oh, wow, that's a song. 
because I know y'all, some of y'all's uh, knowledge of Anita Baker matches my knowledge of Jefferson Airplane. Some of you grew up and got balanced. I'm still learning every day. But yeah, that's the drug song. I wasn't on it because <laughs> I don't do drugs. Uh, but I love that I'm not on it because I could jump up and down like a fucking madman. But all that jumping has to be uh, mine. Sometimes I get overexcited and overstep bounds. Sometimes we all do. And there are certain people in the crew who get really, hey, don't say this at this part. Just let me be at the front at this part. And so there's a lot of that, lots of um, ego and whatnot. That's not my thing. I have other flaws or not, you know, I have other quirks that are hard to deal with. But um, yeah. So when you guys see the show, know that uh, there have been many arguments about things. None of you noticed, but some people, we swear in the group that you do. Man, when you when you crossed in front of me and when you said it, But some of it's legit. Like, because sometimes I know I will over overdub and fuck people up. Sunspot, like, there's a part during Lucky's verse and it's like, the beat drops out as the beat builds back up. Sunspot goes, oh, And he starts jumping when, it, when the beat hits. I guess maybe he was doing drops before dubstep and EDM before the farty bass came in. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, Sunspot is known for the whoa, and I'll join in with him because I just want to be a Sunspot when I grow up anyway as far as a performer. So then we're both going whoa. Thanks for listening to the Best Rapper in L.A. podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing on Spotify, Apple, wherever it is. If you like the show, leave a review on Apple Music or Spotify. And to support the podcast directly, go to patreon.com slash M-U-R-S 316, March 316. See y'all next week. Peace, peace, peace.